Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. And good morning to New Haven Mayor Tony Harp. Nice to see you in the studio, Mayor Harp. Good morning, Paul. How you doing? I'm well. Mayor Harp is here for her weekly <coughs> Mayor Monday checkup when she tells us what she and we are up to in New Haven. You can join the conversation. You know, some people do call in like Bob at 203-8727-ELM, 203-872-7356. But mostly folks have been sending their questions in via Facebook Live. If you go to the New Haven Independent Facebook page, you will see the Facebook Live version of this program. And Harry Jaros keeps us updated here, the studio manager, on your questions coming in. Today's program is made possible in part thanks to support from Bertram Moses PC and from Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. Thanks, Gateway. Thanks, Bertram. And thank you, Mayor Harp, for making time. Busy season. Very busy season. You've been everywhere this weekend. Well, I, I been... just read about it. You live it. Yeah. We <laughs> try to get around, you know. <laughs> We'll keep. We'll um. We'll catch up with some of those events this past weekend in New Haven. A lot of good stuff happening. Yeah. But first, I wanted to ask you about the clean sweep. So you had a lot of your top people from building enforcement, health department, police, uh, building um, livable city initiative. I think I said health department. Already, sweeping through New Haven as a big team, dozens of people through the New Hallville neighborhood, and you were looking for problems. Slumlords not keeping stuff up. Trees that need to be cut back. Lighting lights that are out police activity and you were talking to people about how to how that work with you to make the properties better you're writing lots of citations for stuff that wasn't up to code and uh then this was going to be an experiment in how to do this in other neighborhoods too whether one sweep can identify a lot of problems start a new process for staying on top of information through a new app for one property having all your government information about about a property on one link and having citizens help you on an ongoing basis keep after the problems so how did it go a week later you had your assessment what happened in the war room well we're still actually doing the assessment but we didn't have a a, a talk about it um everyone who was participated every department felt that it was worthwhile they found a lot of things that they um didn't expect to see and what was very worthwhile was the collaboration between departments so sometimes um, our fire marshals have a hard time getting into a building, but our LCI uh, folks in the neighborhood don't. People are familiar with them, and they know everyone in the neighborhood, and they can actually get people, they can get our fire marshals in. And I think that was one of the, that collaboration was one that we believe is fruitful and that we're going to be working on it. It probably makes a lot of sense. Because generally the fire marshal worked with the building inspector when he did his rounds, right? I remember well, he was announcing they were going to do joint sweeps. So you sound like <clears throat> you're saying that now there's going to be a partnership too with LCI, your neighborhood anti-blight agency, right. with the fire marshal to target buildings. To target, well, and to, to, yes, especially if there's, often what they'll do in the fire marshal's office is look at a, they won't target a building, but they'll look at a block and they'll want to get into all of the places on the block. Some of it is just to provide um, information about what it is that you need to have. And uh, in, within your, your, your home or, or your building. And so, um, and it was difficult for them to get into to a lot of these places and so much easier with the LCI. What else surprised you? What did you find in New Hallville that you might not have expected or that you did expect and, and found confirmed? Oh, well, we had a lot of people evidently out there remodeling buildings without permits. <laughs> 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 so that was surprising. And, uh, 
And why do we want them to have permits to make sure it's safe, that to, it's up to code? To make sure that it's safe, that it, they're doing things up to code, that there's a pre-inspection and post-inspection. And uh, so, so those are the main reasons. And I know you did a lot of work with trees. There are old trees that aren't in good shape or blocking the leaves or branches are blocking the street lights, right? Right. We uh, were able to, to do that. We've got to go back and do more trees. But um, evidently, um, the neighborhood was really very dark because the trees had overgrown the lights. And so it's really important just uh, to make sure people are safe, that the lights actually make the streets brighter in, in the evening. So we're going to go back and we're going to keep that work up there. We weren't able to finish everything. The Independence reporter Chris Peake was taken along and then Alan Appel on the second day. And they saw you guys condemn buildings. Yep. And at one point, your head of economic development, which oversees LCI, said, how did we miss that? A year ago, we did inspect this building. It was okay. It was now unlivable a year later. How do we, um, do you have any kind of numbers on how many you, in, you ended up condemning or orders you issued or how you found out how that happened, that it fell through the cracks? You know, we are going to be having a, a, um, another meeting in two weeks to go over all of the numbers. This was just a you know, sort of, instead of a quantitative, it was more of a qualitative discussion. Now, what do you feel in conclusion? Do you feel this is the right idea? Do you think this is going to make a difference long-term? Are you going to roll it out in Fairhaven and Hill as expected in the next, as planned in the next year? Yeah, I mean, one of the, some of the people of, of our staff who are working in Newhallville think that we need to go back to Newhallville one more time and go to some streets we may have missed. So we will likely do that, and then we will... What I want to be guided by the data because this was also... Um, an experiment to look at the whole uh, broken window syndrome. Just to get a small problem like a broken window before it gets a bigger problem, right. like people running through the neighborhood, yeah, terrorizing absolutely. people. All and right. so, um, so we're gonna probably we're gonna go to whatever neighborhood has the most crime. All right. Oh, so it's just about, but you're looking at these other factors playing into crime. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, because we believe that they pro that they do. And then we'll go after neighborhoods where people have complained that there are absentee landlords that don't keep up their property. Well, the Hallville's ground zero for that. <laughs> yeah. And so we want to make sure that we totally take care of, of, of that. And then we'll, we'll go to where the numbers send us, and then we will go to other places that maybe awful things aren't happening there, but... Um, people have complained enough to let us know there's a problem. I was walking into work today. I go on Edgewood Avenue, and there's this block near, on Edgewood near Day Street, across from Police Substation. And I always notice these three multifamilies there. These, you know how those beautiful old houses, some are mm -hmm. good shape, some aren't. And that, uh, that area's been looking up a lot. Thanks, community builders got a lot of money to accumulate to make, bring up the buildings. But there's these three old kind of stately multifamilies in a row. Two of them are owned by neighborhood housing services, and man, are they beautiful. That's like nice housing, mm -hmm. really well painted. The porch is in good condition. The light's out, the light in front. And then right next to it is one of the slumlord companies, the Vitton Management. Mm -hmm. And that place is a wreck, and it's always been a wreck. The porch doesn't look good. It's not painted. Everything's scratched, kind of a tilt. And I noticed a week ago when we had that big windstorm, a, a utility line came down right in front mm -hmm. of uh, the third one, the bad one. And today it is still down with police tape on it. And to me, that showed me what a difference a landlord makes. Oh, if that had been in front of the, the NHA's house, that would have been maybe one hour before a crew came. Maybe even a day if we had a disaster storm. And it was a big storm last week, City Point, you know, it was really hit. Mm -hmm. But that landlord has not been on top 
a week later of having an electric line down right in front of where his people live and where everybody walks by on the right. neighbor on the it's pretty pretty crazy well you know we're, we're going to um work to try to raise the level of concern that some of our landlords have as well the other thing that we've noticed is that often landlords don't get um they don't get their permit or their license um and we're going to we're going to focus on getting that done uh, we're also going to introduce and i don't know if it's going to be an ordinance or if it's going to be a general statute that will allow us to find people on a daily basis and s instead of every three years uh -huh. <laughs> oh that's a good idea yeah so yeah. that was one of the things that we learned that um people, a lot happening yeah tom writes in mayor harp on facebook live hooray for the q house groundbreaking so on saturday you and uh, all the people invest in dick swellen in this project where the groundbreaking for, what is it, 15 or $20 million state-funded project to rebuild a new Dixwell Community Q House with the Stetson Library and the well, Hill Center inside? The initial amount was about $15 million. The library has since gotten another $1 million from the state library. Um, and they are raising to retrofit it um, another $2 million. That will be matched by the Seedlings Foundation. And we encourage everybody to go to the article about the Q House groundbreaking where we have links to how you can donate money both to the Stetson Library Project which is an anchor in that community some of us would argue it was sort of the new Q House in mm -hmm. some ways and, and yeah. can't be everything but and as well as to the Q House Project Tom asks what about the Escape Teen Center what's the status so that was going to be another um, youth organization that was going to that's being built next in the community outreach center next to Bethel Church on sure. Goff Street it will still be built. One of the things that we wanted to do before we move forward or continued to work on that project was to get our state budget, which uh, it looks like we have, and to try to figure that all of that out. So we're in the process of... So you um, want to see if there's money in it that you were counting on? Yeah, because we were paying for it with city funds, so we wanted to make sure we had city funds Did you, to did you find out in, if their money's there? Well, um, what we found out in the state budget is that it's still pretty uh, pretty unclear how that budget is going to work. We were told that we were held harmless. And when my fiscal folks look at it, it looks like we have a $10 million problem. $10 million. Yeah. Because I remember you said, like, educational cost sharing, they gave the same amount of money as last year, yeah. but there are other kinds like Magnus School and other occasional funding where we got cut. But you were looking at, like, three or $4 million. You're looking at $10 million hole? It could be as much as a $10 million hole. Um, one of the things that we did, and it's not all, all the General Assembly's fault, but the way that we had interpreted the um, car tax was the general statute said that it could be no more than 32 mills. And um, our budget had 37 mills in it, but we felt like we couldn't charge people the 37 because the general statute right. said 32. And so we sent our tax bills out for 32. So that created oh. a bit of a problem. The other thing that was a real surprise. Does that mean people are going to get supplemental bills? Oh, boy, they're going to be mad. Uh, yeah, they'll probably get supplemental bills because now they're saying that it can be as high as 39. Our, our mill rate is, is 38.68, so it won't be that high here. But um, it's... I thought they passed a state law that we can cap our car tax and they're going to give us the rest at the state. Well, they are not giving us the rest of the state. But they, so they're undoing the law they passed a year or two ago? Yes. So these are all the little surprises in the budget. 
So are people's taxes going to go up? Uh, How are well, we going to make out this emergency ten million? Well, you know, we're 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 hoping not to to raise taxes. We're going to see what we have to do. We're going to see if it's really ten million, because there's a, a thirty-six million dollar pot of um, do- money up at the state that is supposed to be used to hold cities harmless. When we asked OPM how the money would be distributed, uh, they were they 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 didn't know because the legislature put the budget together. So now we've got to go to the Office of Fiscal Analysis up at the uh, General Assembly to determine how the how those dollars will be distributed. Uh, we haven't been able to get any calls through. So I guess everybody else, all the other cities are asking the same Maybe we could just change question. our name to Hartford. <laughs> or you could change your name to Bob. Bob, you're welcome <laughs> to Mayor Monday with Mayor Tony Harp on WNHH-FM 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. How are you, buddy? Okay. Uh, hello, Mayor, and hello, Paul. Thank you for Good calling. Morning. Hi, Bob. How you doing? You sound uh, better hanging today. In hanging in there, getting better. Yeah, right. I can tell your voice sounds great. Oh, thank you. Uh, I have uh, a few questions for you, and um, my first question is watching this uh, um, terrible or horrible stuff that happened in Texas. Um, have any churches requested more police protection as a result of this? Nope. Um, no churches in New Haven have requested that, to my knowledge. But uh, my understanding is that many of the churches have their own um, security detail of members that do that kind of work. And so a lot of the larger churches already uh, take into consideration that from time to time there may be a security need in the churches. So um, um, that's something that has been going on for a while. Okay, Bob, you said you had another question uh, for Mayor Tony Hart. Yeah, I, I had a couple other questions. Um, my other question regards um, curbside food, food waste recycling. Oh. Um, I saw an interesting article. The picture had different containers of where you'd throw the food in, in this particular city in Connecticut, it's uh, actually West Hartford. Um, have you ever looked into something like that? Before you, are you talking, Bob, about composting, or did it also include non-organic waste? Uh, I'm talking about the uh, the uh, compost. Cause, yeah, because people, like in my house, we throw the compost scraps in the back of a pile that gets put back into the soil. Mm-hmm. So they're doing municipal composting? No, no, no. no, I'm talking about the other thing, right. It looked like they had separate containers in the picture. But they have, like, meat? Um, yes. Ooh, yes, They're kind of rancid. They already put that in the garbage. How, how would you do separate waste yeah. disposal of meat? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'd be interested in learning more about it. I, I really haven't, haven't, um, we're not doing that yet, uh, and no one's brought it to our uh, attention. Well, well, West Hartford is. That's, uh, oh. All right, so thanks know, for the suggestion. We'll take a look at West Hartford, and, uh, see how they do yeah, with the food was, waste. It, the picture was of individual containers, actually. Oh, that's interesting. You know, one of the things we're doing as we go through these different neighborhoods is trying to remind people about how to recycle because a lot of people have forgotten they they don't know the difference between the two cans or what can actually go in the recycling can can and how and so um so we're working on that every now and then people need a refresher i like recycling 
Yeah, it's kind cool. Of fun. You always feel good, you know. You, yeah. You'd be a little neater. Are you ready lectures. for the election tomorrow, Mayor? As ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and, and do you think more people will come out to vote than be primary? Well, I hope Marcus so. Has but suspended his campaign. Well, I hope that more people will come out. Um, you know, I think it's been awfully quiet, and I hope people recognize that there is an election tomorrow. It's a municipal for for the Board of Alders, uh, as well as mayor, the city town clerk, and, and probate judge. So I hope that people will come out and let us know their minds. Yeah, I'm watching Ward 6, City Point, where Dolores Cologne, who's been older, I think, since the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. She is being taken on by someone who's working pretty hard, one of the only two Republicans running for alder, named John Carlson. He's been blanking the neighborhood. And Dolores is a very hardworking alder, and she's affiliated with Unite Here, which has a majority on the board of alders. So that's the only contested race in which a, a member of Unite Here is at risk. So I'm wondering whether um, you might see a lot of Unite Here people in City Point tomorrow. Any, any uh, skinny on that, Mayor Herman? Well, I, and thank you, Bob, as uh, always. Well, Dolores has a lot of uh, support. We were um, over at the Towers yesterday, and... There are a lot of people over there supporting her from inside and outside. So yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of people from throughout the city supporting her. She's the president of the Black and Hispanic Caucus for the Board of Alders. I remembered when I was in college back in 1980, I did volunteer in a campaign for a third party that was running Award 6. And we didn't know how to run a campaign, and we worked very hard. This guy, Freddie Perez. On election day, there at the polls, and up this guy named Butch Consoli, who worked with the party, came with a bus, and they just had... Dozens and dozens and dozens of seniors from the towers who just filed past them. And before we could even say anything, mm-hmm. Butch handed in the flyer how to pull the Democratic lever. And the thing was over before the election even started. <laughs> <laughs> Those towers, an important vote there. No, it is. Yeah. And, uh, and, who, and getting access in there and stuff. But, you know, election day is always fun. And the weather's supposed to be good tomorrow. Oh, that's good. It's interesting. Um, you are running against the working families candidate who does not want to win. She's very adamant about she does not want to be the mayor. She wants to get 1% of the vote. So at the Working Families Party, which is a left progressive party that cross-endorses Democrats, will get a permanent spot on the municipal ballot. So she's gunning for 1%. I understand that. And so, you know, I think it's, it's uh, fair for um, there to be a working parties. Working Families Party in New Haven. So uh, you don't have to answer this question. Who are you going to vote for? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to say. It's your... It's your, it's your uh, you, you, yeah. You, you, Look, I'm a Democrat. You know, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote Democratic. <laughs> and you had a rally. Chris Murphy came, the United States Senator, and right. U.S. Rep. Rosa DeLauro. We, I'm sorry we missed that rally on Saturday. How'd it go? It was great. Yeah, it was It was good. Um, Rosa was fantastic. As she usual. loves, like, sort of campaign mode. She gets yeah. very fired up. She always sort of brings all the energy to a crowd. Oh, she really does. And, you know, it's, we're so lucky to have her as our representative. And, and Chris, you know, and this was before that horrible thing that happened uh, yesterday. in San yeah. Antonio where he's always a major figure because of his prominence in the gun control fight. Right, after absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, we were sort of lauding him for that, and little did we know that, you know, he'd have to really be at it again. Another day, another this. gun massacre. But you know, it's kind of interesting yeah. to me. You know, we had it in Las Vegas. Then we had the one in um, New York. And President Trump wanted the death penalty in first Guantanamo when a supporter from Uzbekistan who supports ISIS drove into people in New York. Mm-hmm. In Las Vegas, when some white Christian guy shot a lot more people to death 
And yesterday, when someone used an AR-15, which was newly legalized, who was also a Christian, President Trump didn't tweet anything about death penalty, terrorism, anything like that. Was there uh, any thoughts on that? Well, you know, you have to wonder. You know, if, if it's bad, it doesn't matter who does it, right? But why would there be this disparity? In- well, you know, I think he's brought that up in our country. You know, like he's opened... Pandora's box of there's some people who are more favored than others, mm-hmm. unfortunately. All right. Well, fortunately, besides the Q House this weekend, you also went to um, a group that people don't always know about in the broader community, but there's so much in New Haven called the Lynx. And this <laughs> yeah. is right, African-American women, and right. they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for scholarships for people. They've been around 45 years in New Haven and I think mm-hmm. what, much, much longer nationally. And you had two Tony Award-winning actresses come and we got all dressed up someplace in Hamden, right? Right, And right. you made, now you are a link, aren't I you? I am, yeah. What, what is, and your daughter's a link. And my daughter's a link. What yeah. does it mean to be a link? Well, you know, link is a, is a service organization. We um, are committed to raising funds for the community and providing services to the community in five areas. I hope I can remember them all. All one is services. Your membership's on the line. I know. <laughs> services to youth, um, international trends and services, health care, national trends and services, and, um, and the arts. And so we, um, we work really hard in those five areas to, to try to support what exists in our community those areas we have a an umbrella project that we work with the st martin de poor school and go in and provide each one of our facets we call those areas facets goes in and provides services to the kids at st martin de poor's and and we have a we try to get a um a dental van to come and provide um dental cleanings and assessments for kids we do that usually once a year and uh, we provide scholarships to kids, usually about 10 to 12 a year. And um, young people compete for them in the, in mostly in New Haven, but the greater New Haven area. All right. And Harry, your station manager just pointed out that I said something very stupid on the air a few minutes ago. What was that? In Vegas and in the church shooting, the guy was killed. So, of course, oh, President Dent couldn't call yeah. for death penalty. So, I guess my yeah. point was the disparities when he's saying terrorism yes, and uh, and when it's a threat to our country. And, and our, I understood what you meant. Yeah, but I shouldn't should have said something stupid. Thank you, Harry Jost, for correcting the okay. record. One other question on the state budget, Mayor Harp. Yeah. I got a call from someone this weekend, I knew nothing about this, who who's a fixed income, who mm-hmm. gets an elderly slash disabled rebate from the state every year. They the have rental a program. rebate. Yes. So the rental rebate, as I understand it, is if your income is low enough and you're paying a certain percentage of your uh, income on rent. Mm-hmm. The state had a program that reimbursed you. What was it, like seven hundred to up to a thousand dollars a year? I think it's five hundred up to a thousand, depending upon your income. Now the state just wiped that out in this budget, right? Uh, no, they didn't wipe it out. They gave it to us. It was a free gift. So, in other words, but in other <laughs> words, you have to pay it. They're not giving you the money to pay for it. Well, you know, we're trying to. That's what we think, which is part of that ten million. Um, but I, in my discussions with Senator Looney last night. He indicated that he thought that it might start ne- in the next budget year and there may be some money set aside for that program. So th- those are the kinds of things that we're really trying to to understand. We know that the responsibility has been transferred to municipalities. But responsibility means you have to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. So do you have <laughs> to pay for it or can you not pay for it? Well, I think that my understanding of the 
law in the general statute is that it's a requirement. It's so the they program can mandate still exists. you to pay. These it's an unfunded mandate. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, in practice, and this is not a happy um, observation about our political system. If you were to charge somebody another $15 in taxes a year for their car because of what the state did, that would be a tax and people would go crazy, especially since that bill's out already. If you had to wipe out $500 to $1,000 that the state had been paying for rent rebates, you wouldn't get the same clamor, I think. Well, no, and it's not that Even much for that's us. A bigger it's $2.6 million. It's $2.6 million. Yeah. So there was a secret $2.6 million. So even if this year we don't have to pay, we do next year. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's incredible. It's really, well... It's so you saw Mayor... <laughs> where did you see Martin Looney? Was there a, was there a new get-out-the-vote rally last night? There was at um, Bella, Bella Vista. Vista. I see. There's always <laughs> on Bella Vista. Who brought the pizza? Uh, you know, honestly, I think it was uh, the New Haven Town Committee brought it. But yeah, And it was uh, lasagna, I think. Oh, it was lasagna. All yeah, right. and the salad. It, it was a little bit more healthy. Yeah, yeah, this is a little bit <laughs> fancier. So you must have been talking about um, the budget. How do you feel about the budget they passed in general? Well, I'm glad that they passed one so that we know what we have to deal with. Once we know what we have to deal with. Once we know. And, and, and it's, it's, it's good to know that. I wish we'd known it a little earlier. But um, I'm unhappy that it looks like there was a cost shift onto municipalities. It looks that way. But, uh, perhaps it, it isn't. So, you know, that's why I don't want to complain too much until I know for sure. It looks like there's this huge cost shift. And it may not be that way. And I'm really hoping that it's not. Whether or not there's a huge cost shift. And we're talking about stuff like the car tax. Right. Like the rent rebate program. Right. And was there some other stuff like education funding? There, there you know, there might be. I, my understanding is that the education funding looks pretty stable, which is really okay, great. good. But it's really um, um, our payment in lieu of taxes that looks like it took a big hit. And um, and then what, well, long story short, that's one of the things that looks to have taken a big hit and is real concerning for me. All right. And I'm concerned that you know that you listen to Mayor Monday with Mayor Tony Harp on WNHH Radio, your home for community radio at 103.5 FM, live stream at newhavenindependent.org. Robert Gibson has a question <laughs> on Facebook. Thank you for sending in a question, Robert Gibson. The Board of Education proposed to select a new superintendent by the 20th of this month. There's been much talk about transparency and community involvement in the process. A timeline was created and made public. The public forums announced were not held. The public remains in the dark. Will the public be allowed to participate and be enlightened before the search committee and the BOE make their selection? Thank you for your question. I believe there are two there uh, are, public you know, interviews there, scheduled. There are. Mm -hmm. So what happens? First, your selection committee and the board do private interviews with, what is it, seven or eight people? And then you're going to have them at the neighbor, the neighborhoods are going to have some public interviews. And then there'll be public interviews, I guess, with the finalists. So you wait until you have finalists before the public interviews. Right. How mm -hmm. many finalists? I believe there are two to three. So Carol Burks from Hartford, and before that, Bridgeport, I know, was one of the finalists. I saw Gary Highsmith. Well, we haven't decided on finalists yet. I mean, I mean, oh, we're in the mix now. Okay. <laughs> Semi-finalists, excuse me. Gary yeah. Highsmith, who used to be, uh, who grew up here, used to be president. Uh, Beecher's principal in Hamden's high schools. Mm -hmm. I saw Dolores Garcia Blocker used to run co-op and uh, is now in, in New Haven's administrator in the school system. And um, so you, first you're going to winnow it down to a few and then bring it to the community. Right. Exactly. All by November 20th. That's our hope. So we have an election day tomorrow, but the 
I think we start our interviews on the 8th and the 9th. All right. Thank you for that question, Robert Gibson, on our Facebook page, on Facebook Live. Uh, last week also, the, um, you were, I don't know if you were there at, at uh, Wilbur Cross. They had a great event for all the students who have come from Puerto Rico who have left the oh. hurricane, mm -hmm. as well as from the earthquake in Mexico. And my understanding, Harp, I'd like to confirm this with you, and so did Tom, who wrote in. I think we're at about 67 or 68 public school students from Puerto Rico so far since the hurricane, right? The last number that I had last week was 47, but I don't know where the we are now. The state issued a list where we were at 67, okay. and yeah. Hartford was in the 80s, okay. the State Board of Education. At mm -hmm. the meeting last Thursday at Cross, they said, oh, anyway, Cross has been embracing them. There are 11 at Cross alone. Great. And you know what's this that jumped out at me, which I never knew? Cross is our biggest uh, high school. 58% of the students at Cross are Latino. Mm-hmm. That fascinated me. I mean, because that's the biggest high school, and I know the numbers aren't the same at Hill House. Does that pretend? Um, does that pretend that our general population is going to continue growing more Latino? You think? Oh, sure, of course. So, Absolutely. becoming a browner city. Absolutely. And Robert Gibson just said he said his question wasn't answered. The day, time, day, and locations of meeting have not been made public. We need to know in advance. So, in advance. When you have these neighborhood hearings, they will be made public. They will ma be made public, and they'll be sometime next week, from what I guess. Sometime next week, and we will put the exact date and the exact location in the New Haven Independent, sure. so that people and, will know. And you know, I think he works for New Haven Public Schools, and Will Smith, uh, Will Clark knows, so he can just call Will him Smith's up. Smith's the men with guns guy. I know, I know. This is Will, <laughs> will Clark. Was it called Men with Guns? What was that? So he knows, and no, you know, he works poison. there, so he ought to be able to figure it out. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that question. Checkmate. New Haven checkmated Hamden last week, although we kind of said that as a joke and some people didn't take it so well. There's a, a, a startup company called Checkmate Digital, which, which yep. is, creates software. It helps companies with their own software systems. And they've been growing from just a few people in Hamden. So mm -hmm. I think they're like 16 people or something. They moved to downtown New Haven on Temple Street. You went oh. for the ribbon cutting. Tell me about that. They said the ecosystem was like, which was an interesting word, because a week before that, um, there was a... Um, there was a Republican candidate for governor in here, Steve Sitnik, who said we don't have an ecosystem for tech in Connecticut, so that's why they go Who's to other states. Oh, really? Well, I mean, that's why Alexian said they went. That's why Aetna said, not Aetna, yeah, GE said they went. They wanted the tech info ecosystem in Boston with lots of people who are trained to be engineers, lots of other software companies, educational institutions where that research is being shared. But I guess within Connecticut, it looks like we've got the ecosystem, right? I mean, that's what these guys were saying at Checkmate Digital. I think that's what they were saying. They are thrilled to be in New Haven, and uh, we're, we're, we're really thrilled to have them. And, and yes, maybe ours isn't as big as Boston, but we do have probably the only ecosystem in Connecticut for mm -hmm. IT and bioscience. And we've been wanting to build that ecosystem. We got a state grant. Is that still going to happen? The state yes. grant we got to build mm -hmm. the ecosystem. How does one go about building it? I know partly it happens organically. I mean, Yale's here. Other kinds of creative people are here. You had C-Click Fix. You had... Uh, you know, all these uh, higher ones, you know. You have the Maker Haven. I, yeah, you have all these people just create stuff, and, and it does cross-pollinate. And also, it's the one city that's fun to live in if you're in your 20s and single. So people kind of gravitate here. And, you know, these people are people who don't get dressed up to go to work. They have a, a, a pool tables in their offices. And uh, they want work to be fun, too. And so they love um, being downtown. They can walk out, you know, late at night, find food. But they can't get a bus. 
I'm taking Uber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but they don't mind taking an Uber. <laughs> right, they are kind of the Uber generation. Yeah. <laughs> they know, they know how. how. Yeah, their app doesn't get messed up on their phone. <laughs> but um, no, it's a really exciting for us for them to sort of vote with their feet and come to New Haven. It was interesting when I saw in Marquisha Ricks' article about your ribbon cutting, I was interested when they said about how they have lively arguments every day about where to go for lunch because there are so many good places. Yeah. You know, I actually think that's part of the ecosystem. Yeah, I think so too. It's a fun city and, you know, great theater and all that stuff. I was a collective consciousness. You ever see their theater in Fairhaven I've in Erector Square it, yeah. and they do socially conscious plays, Dexter uh -huh. Singleton, that they did one up from Laurie Parks, yeah. what a Pulitzer Prize winning play about two brothers, Booth and uh, Lincoln, African men brothers, who, and then kind of how they deal with their frustrated hopes in life. And they had done a great Martin Luther King uh, mountaintop play there. You go to Erector Square where these artist studios and you go up and around all these steps to where they used to make erector sets of these back rooms and, and hallways. And then you have this wonderful off-Broadway type mm -hmm. space where they do a great job. And, uh, and that's part of the ecosystem to me. I think so. It's yeah. part of what's so much, so much fun about New Haven. Um, also in the past week, um, you were at the police department, but you were not getting arrested, thankfully. Mm -hmm. You were helping to introduce Axon body-worn cameras. Every cop now that cameras have come in. And they're going to be using body cameras to record how they interact with the public. Mm -hmm. um, the White House on down has been pushing this since the events at Ferguson and subsequent national debate about keeping police accountable. When we've looked into this and looked at the studies, it seems like it's not as much that it stops cops from misbehaving. As much as we've seen it, let's say, in Brantford, it stops the public from misbehaving as much. Because mm. there was one case in Brantford when a guy came up and said, this cop was terrible to me and I was just doing my thing and he was uh, abusing me and I'm going to sue you. And the chief called him in. They had the first body cameras and we showed the, the, uh, the video on the independent and the officer is basically mismanners and goes up and says, sir, you know, how you doing? You know, I'm sorry. You know, we did record you going through that red light, blah, blah. And this guy just starts swearing at him <laughs> and threatening him. And like after that, he didn't sue him. But the other question is whether um, it just gets public confidence more that the police will be held accountable because there was a Yale study, although it's not a definitive study at all, and they agreed. It showed that police behavior didn't change, but maybe that's not the goal. The goal is police accountability. What do you think? I think it's accountability and transparency. And um, so I think those are the things that, that people would like to see the most. And they would like to know um, the public at large that they're going to be treated uh, professionally by the police department. It's interesting, there's often unintended consequences about this stuff. I think we can all agree there's nothing bad about having them wear the cameras because mm -hmm. we'll have more documentation. It's going to be very challenging dealing. I know in Seattle they had a nightmare with public requests if there are a lot of them for that video because there's not endless money in a budget to review that stuff. And uh, some people were suggesting that they don't save certain video for a long time if it's routine or maybe you're just turning them on just when they interact with the public so there's not as much to deal with but on the other hand they worry will people then forget to turn it on so there'll be a training curve at the beginning no, there is there but is. when i hear from the cops and uh, the people who run hartford i mean uh, hamden and brantford they're very happy with the program they feel it's good for police too and obviously my big thing is you know citizens being allowed to record police because the cameras show what the police see citizens mm -hmm. doing and you really need to protect citizens rights which i think has been a challenge in our department to actually mm -hmm. photograph the police Mm -hmm. without being arrested for it or having your camera taken illegally and things like that. No, I, I understand that. One of the things that, that some of our police officers have done prior to our implementing this program is buy their own cameras, Oh, which is really kind of surprising. Interesting. So there were New Haven police officers who did this mm -hmm. on their own. Absolutely. I can understand it. Because mm -hmm. when you also think that the vast majority of cops 
are so honest and do their jobs well. And then sometimes a cop who has a bad day usually doesn't have a bad day. Mm -hmm. It does protect them when they're un they're unfairly accused too. Mm -hmm. And it, it's good for them to have that kind of backup. So I think we're excited about it. It seems like the police officers are excited about it. And the first 30 are on the street now. And then they're going to do 30 more and 30 more. So probably take about 10 weeks to roll it all out. And it's a camera world. Yes. It's really a different world everywhere we go. Oh, my goodness. You know, like think about before your smartphones had cameras how many times did people ask you to take a picture yeah and now you know like everywhere you go people want pictures because they've got their smartphone right there how, how many times a day do you get asked to post for a picture well you know at least a couple but yeah really more than <laughs> more than before trust me <laughs> speaking of law enforcement we have a new u.s attorney john durham mm -hmm. president well we think we do president um Trump nominated him last week to replace Deirdre Daly, and there's no question he'll be approved because it was the Democratic senators who suggested him, Chris Murphy and Dick Blumenthal. John Durham has been in that office since 1989. He's been trusted by the U.S. Justice Department to do special investigations nationally on CIA and FBI um, misbehavior. Mm -hmm. He has helped prosecute Democrats and Republicans alike, including mm -hmm. politicians like the former Governor Rowland and Mayor uh, Ganem in Bridgeport. Any thoughts on that pick? No, I think it's really great that it's someone who's been steeped in the, the department because actually it's one of the departments across the country that is very innovative. They're the ones that came up with and worked on developing Project Longevity, which we think is one of the reasons that we've gotten a reduction in our gang violence here in our city. Yeah, that's been good news. Yeah. The um, homeless march last week, almost 200 people showed up. Homeless mm -hmm. people and their advocates saying, we feel we're getting locked up too much and we want more housing. Your administration said, you know, we spend a million dollars a year on homelessness. No other other city comes close. Right. They say they're still vacant buildings. Why can't we just go fix them up and live in them? Any thoughts on that, March? Well, you know, I think it's important for any group that has a point of view and wants to have it heard to use marching as a tool to get it, it heard. So I, I absolutely support it. Um, but I, I also agree with our police department. We do not um, arrest or ticket people who don't who are don't do something to. And it gets tricky. That. And homeless it's people, really you know, not your life's, because they're homeless. And your life's in a spin. You obviously a lot of bad things happen. So there's one organizer, the march, who it turns out has been selling drugs for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. People get in desperate situations. They're not usually homeless because everything's together in their life. It's all tricky. It's tricky, and you know, like we don't we don't penalize people in our city because they're homeless. And, and as, as you pointed out, oh, we're the only city in the state of Connecticut that has in our general fund budget a million dollars. Now you've worked in homeless services. policy for decades. Yeah. In the 80s, you and Tomas mm -hmm. Reyes did a citywide homeless plan right. to try to share, share the responsibility per neighborhood at the state legislature. You've actually been honored in New Orleans for legislation you did in the homeless. You worked as a homeless outreach coordinator at Hill Health for many years. Where do you stand now after having worked on it for so many years on the persistence of the problem? We've moved a lot of people to supportive housing, which is you have a place where you can, might even still be addicted, but you have social services on site. It's not a homeless shelter. We, we, have, we thought we had wiped out chronic homelessness, but we still have these encampments where people don't want to go to a shelter. We have a methadone clinic that does bring people from all over the state to mm -hmm. our area. Mm -hmm. What is the status now of homelessness in New Haven and Wait. how should we address it? Homelessness is a problem across the country. 
And when you have a state that has ex exclusionary zoning and your cities are the only place that have multi-family housing and, um, and subsidized housing, you're going to have homeless problems. And it's not a New Haven problem because of New Haven residents who are homeless. It's a New Haven problem because there are no other places in the region that actually provide the kind of services that we provide. And so it's something that we've got to get used to and um, do all we can. We're working with Columbus House to build housing on behalf of homeless. It's going to take... You just did oh, one and it's just groundbreaking right in the hill. You had one there. Right. Well, the, and then there's going to be another one in um, the Dixville, New Hallville area um, that they're working on. And so all of these things take time, but, you know, there is a pent-up demand for the housing because we're one of the few places that tries to address the problem. Now, when people say, why can't we just pick up? First of all, do we still have a lot of vacant properties? We really don't. And the changed. vacant properties that we have, we were trying to get rid of them and we were selling them for a dollar. That doesn't exist anymore. And when, even when you have vacant property, often it's privately owned and that person would have liability to just let someone come in and we work on it. Right? Yeah, right. It's not our property. It either belongs to a bank or it belongs to an individual. And uh, it's usually expensive. It's interesting reading about Detroit this weekend. They have miles and miles of vacant houses and, and the challenges they have in trying mm -hmm. to get people in and how banks don't make enough money on those mortgages and it costs more to fix them up than they're worth and, and what they're trying to do there. So it's a lot, a lot of thinking going on about the next generation of homelessness and solutions to that. Now, I think it's important that we do think about it. And, you know, none of us want to see people living in encampments. There have got to be better ways to do that's tougher because when I talk to people there, they didn't want to go to the shelter. Some people think, like, Grand Avenue shelter is not popular. Columbus no. House runs a shelter well that gets full. But they, they want to be with their partner. A lot of people don't want to go to Columbus yeah. House either they because be they've got partner. rules, you know. Yeah. What time you have to be in or be yeah. with your partner. Or they want to do drugs and, and, and drink. And, and, right. and uh, I guess they have a legal right on one case. And, yeah. that's what, you know, it's, uh, and, you know, you can understand shelters not wanting to have people that, you know, that, they're dry. They don't want people to come in that um, ha have these issues because I see the city confusion. has a team that really goes out in the field. I've seen Velma George, who's your homeless coordinator. She goes out with people from places like Clifford Beers, mm -hmm. who they, they go talk to the people who are the tougher cases of how you deal in your city. You can't leave them out there in places that could catch on fire. I've seen the encampments where they have this fire that's keeping them warm right under a tent by like two feet. Mm -hmm. You know, that stuff that's a, right by it's all those woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder the neighbors are concerned by that in the woods of East Rock. I've seen them go out in a very compassionate way to try to work with people to get them in some kind of program, someplace where they can get help. You know, they say at some point we do have to leave, but we would like to leave someplace where you get the help. No, I think it's important. And the other thing, I think that aside from the fact that there isn't housing, uh, subsidized housing for, for people who, who, who don't have a, a decent earnings, um, it's also a failure of our behavioral health programs. A lot of these folks... Um, really need to have care from our, our, our mental health um, system and need to have access to inpatient drug um, detoxification and drug treatment. And, and it just doesn't exist like it once did. And you're getting the news treatment here on Mayor Monday on WNHH Radio. We have just a few minutes left looking ahead of the week. Before I get to the events of the week, I've been thinking a lot about the floodgates that have opened with Harvey Weinstein and the stories of women who routinely get sexually abused or harassed or raped or just un improperly dealt with by uh, 
by men in power mm -hmm. and the floodgates have opened and they say at least 90% of this is a man who's bothering a woman and it's gone through every industry and two things that really struck me and I was really curious about your thoughts on this because you run a bureaucracy right you I mean you were at the state legislature and city government that government has not been immune from this you can hear stories mm -hmm. about it there one thing that struck me and I wonder if it's true with you too is that in almost no cases has the man denied it you have this floodgate of stories about prominent people that are all of a sudden immediately ending careers. I mean, they ended filming House of Cards because of stories years ago with Kevin Spacey. Weinstein get kicked out of his company. Even Dustin Hoffman, all these people. And the way they respond, or the head of NPR News, mm -hmm. the stuff that happened years ago, the head of the, the New Republic's publisher, Leon Wieseltier, who had a whole magazine coming out with Steve Jobs' uh, widow, and they just canceled it the day before it started because of um, incidents with him. And, which I think is great. And it's interesting to me that they haven't really denied it. And that at some point they'll deny it, but it just shows how widespread it is. And my other question is, when is it okay for workplace romance? Like, we're finding out how prevalent the not okay is. Mm -hmm. And like, I was thinking like years ago, the New York Times had an editor named Max Frankel. And he and the city editor, Joyce Pernick, fell in love and they got married quietly. They started dating. And no one looks back and said, well, that was inappropriate. He was the boss. He was in charge of her. Should it be that it's the person in power should never ask? Like, like people do spend a lot of time at work and they do fall in love. And obviously these cases we've heard about are all just wrong, inappropriate. And there are other layers that are inappropriate. When is it okay? And this is just alien to me because I found my Bashirat when I was in my 20s. So like, I'm not even aware of what goes on. You know, what, when is it okay if people do have that spark in a workplace? How should it, how should they proceed? Well, it would seem to me that it's okay when uh, both people are single of age and it's consensual. But how? But isn't there still a problem if the boss... Not if it's consensual, consensual and they're of age. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, in this day and age, it's not the boss who asks. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying, obviously, it's, a problem. it's not a problem if it's not the boss who asks. Yeah. I'm just wondering where the boss has to forfeit the right to ask if you're the boss. Well, I would think that uh, if, there's, if you don't have a sense that it's welcome, then you shouldn't ask. So, you know, I talked to one writer this weekend because all this stuff's rocking media. And she had worked with, you know, like mm -hmm. around Weasel Tear and said everyone knew about that. And someone asked her, what about if Christopher Hedges was alive? But was, he was like, and she was adamant about how. And she worked for 60 Minutes and said that 60 Minutes was disgusting and you were supposed, everyone would get ahead of sleep with someone there and all the big shots you know about, except for Morley Safer, apparently, thankfully. But uh, she was saying that Christopher Hedges would always hit on her and other people, but immediately never touch you, never be inappropriate, and take no for an answer very gracefully and continue mm -hmm. a very good relationship, which was kind of interesting to me to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, it took you a little far field on this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good model. <laughs> I'm not looking for advice for my own case, but I mean, I do run a small organization and you run a big organization, 5,000 people, you know, this stuff comes up. It does come up. And, uh, but I love that it's out in the open. And I, I think love it how, should be. how suddenly this has had consequences when it never did before. And I think it really speaks to empowerment of women that it, it finally does. All right, let's go. <laughs> and let's go into a week ahead. Um, you have a Daisy Gonzalez, the uh, tribute, right? Mm -hmm. She was the head of the Board of Ed. When is that? I believe that's Thursday. Is that Thursday Wednesday? night? Okay, Wednesday night. Wednesday. And that's you get, right, Wednesday. are you making a speech to the Connecticut Bar Association? I am. What's yeah. that about? Well, you know, I think we're going to... Going to bars, about downtown <laughs> bars in New Haven? <laughs> no, but it, it, uh, we're, we're going to talk about um, 
our, our criminal justice system and that sort of thing. So. Excellent. And then um, it's restaurant week. You know what? Is, isn't it always restaurant week? No, only twice a year. <laughs> oh, it is twice a year. I was wondering. I felt like it was just restaurant week. Well, first of all, it is the restaurant week every week in New Haven because the restaurants are so amazing. But this is where we know have the promotion. What's, what's different is that a lot of the towns around New Haven now are having restaurant week. But it'll never be like New Haven restaurant week. Of course week. it won't. <laughs> <laughs> where are you going to eat on restaurant week? Uh, you know, I don't know, but I'm going to try a new restaurant, I hope. So um, we're, we're going to find a new one that I will try. I love Rawa. Oh, okay. It's an Iraqi guy who had And he's great. open? He's, well, it's not technically open, but it is. We had dinner there. Uh, I just okay. don't have liquor, which I don't care. He has these amazing breads and these kind of eggplant and avocado dishes, as well as this like roasted fennel and vegetable pizza. And he had these very popular New York restaurants. And Thea Booksbaum, who's active in Westville, and his friend brought her up to, to do the restaurant at the corner of West Rock and Whaley. Okay. I highly recommend it. Okay, well, I'm going to try <laughs> And then... Um, I guess there's also an election tomorrow, so you are planning to vote. I am. All right, so maybe everyone else should vote, too. I think so. I think People they, died for that right. Absolutely did. And, All right. And so we've got to honor their commitment to democracy. All right, I'm going to take your advice, then, and I will show up tomorrow and vote. Okay, good. I'm, I'm going to be loyal to my mayor. Thank you for joining us today in Dateline New Haven. Thanks to Mayor Tony Harp. Thanks to Birch and Moses PC and Gateway Community College for providing financial support. For today's show we're going to take it out with the afro-semitic experience performing i wish i knew how it feel to be free from the group cd a plea for peace what do you think tony harp do we know what it's like to be free you know i think that if we book our flight right then we will be free <laughs> okay everybody you heard it from our mayor tony harp you can book your flight and fly free with us all day and all night long at wnhh new haven's home for community radio <laughs>